2: Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. America is facing a mental health crisis, and in many ways, New York City is ground zero. Rising crime, inflation, the news about the hurricanes in Florida and Puerto Rico, and of course, the pandemic.
3: Mental health has been an issue that has really spiked um, with the pandemic. And
4: among children? Well, it is uh, in my 46 year career, uh, the highest demand that I have ever seen uh, for children's behavioral health.
2: This week on 880 in depth, tackling the mental health of our community, an issue that's been bubbling up since the 9-11 attacks here 21 years ago.
5: Within the uh, World Trade Center exposed cohort, we have about 20,000 people within, 21,000 people within the program that have been diagnosed with some related mental health condition.
2: Welcome to 880 in depth. I'm Michael Wallace. Let me start by saying it's okay to not be okay. You are not alone. By most estimates, millions of people in our community suffer some form of anxiety or depression. And while some are more serious than others, the fact that we're talking more openly about mental health concerns is a huge start.
4: One of the really uh, silver linings of all of this is that people are willing to talk and seek help for behavioral health issues today.
2: That's Donald Parker from New Jersey's Hackensack Meridian Health System. We'll hear more from him coming up. But let's start where there is growing concern, our children. Dr. Shaddle Shah is a pediatrician and neonatologist from the New York area. He's also a past president of the New York Chapter 2 of the American Academy of Pediatrics. Our Peter Haskell spoke to him about the mental health crisis facing our kids today.
3: Mental health has been an issue that has really spiked um, with the pandemic. And I think people thought that now that we're beginning to come out of the pandemic phase, that we would start seeing children's mental health improve. But unfortunately, that really hasn't been the case. Um, You know, right now, data suggests that almost a third, about 37% of 12 to 17-year-olds are reporting feelings of sadness or hopelessness. Um, And up to one in four kids um, have symptoms of anxiety and depression. And it's really important for us as parents, as pediatricians, as teachers, really as a community, um, which includes, you know, the friends of teens, to be on the lookout for a lot of the symptoms so we can interact uh, with those children and we can hopefully intervene uh, early and get them the care that they need.
0: What's, what signs should parents be looking for?
3: Sure. Um, so the first thing they should be on the... Uh, on the lookout for are any abrupt changes in mood, any changes in sleep habits, any difficulty sleeping or excessive sleeping can be warning signs, Um, feelings of uh, difficulty concentrating, uh, irritability, changes in their uh, eating habits. Kids, you say they're they're not hungry and they don't want to eat, which is really unusual for teens. uh, kids who often will make a comment, or that they feel helpless, or that they feel like things are out of their control. Um, another way that this can really manifest is really sort of vague abdominal symptoms. Some kids will just say, "My, you know, I have vague stomach pains," um, but they don't really fit with any, um, you know, traditional medical diagnosis.
0: If parents hear about these things, what, what kinds of things can they do to try to handle it at a home first?
3: Yeah, I think there needs to be an acknowledgement that kids are under a huge amount of stress, right? During the pandemic, the stress was all about quarantine measures and senses of, the sense of social isolation and really being disconnected from their school community. Now, there are new stressors, and those stressors include being reintroduced into school, the sense of being overwhelmed by the pace of material um, and all of the academic loss that occurred as as a consequence of virtual learning. Um, I think the first thing parents need to do is acknowledge it and say that that these stressors aren't going away. We need to figure out tools to manage those stressors. The next thing they should do is talk to their school um, and see about school counselors and school counseling because If children can get services while they're in school, that's obviously preferred because it doesn't interrupt them from their normal education pattern. And then of course they wanna reach out to their pediatricians. Pediatricians are are uncovering a lot of previously missed uh, anxiety and depressive symptoms because really beginning this year, the American Academy of Pediatrics has recommended that all teens greater than the age of 12 be screened for symptoms of anxiety, depression, and even suicidality. So the more you ask these questions, the more symptoms you're going to uncover. Um, and the good news is that the more the more kids you can actually intervene with and help. Um, this all comes after a year. You know, in October of 2021, the American Academy of Pediatrics declared a national emergency in uh, children's mental health. Um, and that was because there was this real recognition that The most common things adolescents were now coming to the doctors for uh, were for mental health issues, behavioral health issues. The most important thing here is that we want to create, number one, a place for children to talk about these types of issues because we don't want them to be hidden. Number two, we want to make sure that children are screened for these issues so if they do show signs of anxiety, depression, or suicidality, we can intervene as effectively and as early as possible.
0: And and just in terms of the ability of the system, the the healthcare system to handle these kids, is there the support out there that families need?
3: The answer, unfortunately, is we don't have a strong mental health uh, safety net or a strong mental health support system. Um, It is incredibly difficult. uh, When I refer patients, it can take sometimes six months for them to get an appointment with a uh, child and adolescent psychiatrist, um, But there are resources. Um, some school districts, um, unfortunately these school districts tend to be the ones that are in areas with a little bit more financial resources, do have counselors and psychologists uh, in the school district, uh, sometimes multiple counselors or psychologists in, uh, in, in the school. Um, so that's one piece of it. Uh, and the other piece of it is that general pediatricians are becoming more and more comfortable taking care of these types of patients because more and more patients are coming to their doors seeking help.
0: to Shaw, is there anything else that you wanna add?
3: I just wanna emphasize that this mental health crisis that we're going through for children is not just a parent problem, right? It really is a community. We need parents obviously checking in with their kids Especially their adolescents who tend to be more withdrawn as they start developing their own sense of independence. We need teachers to be really vigilant because they know their students and they're going to be the first ones to detect an abrupt change in grades or behavior or enthusiasm. But we also need other adolescents to be aware of what their friends are going through. There's nothing wrong with one adolescent saying to a teacher or to an, a friend's parent, you know my friend, my friend isn't acting right. My friend really does feel like they're not in control of what's going on. Or, um, you know, it's always better to raise the question than to not raise the question, because we don't want to miss any children. The stakes are just too high.
2: Donald Parker is the president of behavioral health services for Hackensack Meridian Health. He also spent time with our Peter Haskell this week. What struck us was his comment that in all of his years in this business, he has never seen such demand for children's behavioral health services on a hospital level. Here is their conversation.
4: We have uh, seen dramatic increases in 12- to 7-year-olds, which is normally the audience that we would be uh, addressing uh, for behavioral health issues, but an even greater increase in under-12-year-olds, uh, which I never, uh, again in my career, thought I'd be speaking about providing inpatient uh, psychiatric care for under 12-year-olds, going all the way down to 6-year-olds. So we have children coming into all of our uh, emergency departments across the health system uh, on a daily basis uh, at very young ages uh, requiring care for heavy uh, cases of anxiety, uh, depression, uh, things that uh, normally would not have uh, made its way to our hospitals in the
0: past what's happening why is what's causing this
4: well uh, Peter, I think that there's been a variety of uh, birth both actual uh, circumstances uh, that have arisen uh, for kids that have uh, disrupted their normal sequences of development and so if you think about uh, the various challenges that kids have today uh, it, it is a very different world than you or I lived in uh, and a different world for us to understand Uh, and uh, it it starts at a very young age so as an example and I've been talking uh, to uh, groups about this some unintended consequences started uh, uh, impacting children very early we started wearing masks very early and we needed to wear masks to prevent the spread of the disease however if you think about a young child uh, for instance, a a birth to, uh, one and a half years old, they go through a developmental sequence, and this is from uh, Erickson, who's a psychologist who, who really was one of the uh, most uh, prolific writers on developmental sequencing for children. They go through a a period of, of trust versus mistrust, and they can't talk when they're young, and uh, they, uh, as a result, they have to depend on your body language to learn to trust or not. Uh, or mistrust. And uh, if you have a mask on, you're taking 60% of your facial uh, expressions away from the interaction with the child. And they therefore uh, don't c- fully complete trust versus mistrust. When they go on to the next developmental sequences, they generally are either trusting too much or trusting too little. Think about what that would do to our lives if that was how we started. So, so you start with that, and then you go through each of the developmental sequences that children go through, and they get disrupted. Now, it go uh, fast forward to uh, young teenagers uh, who uh, require connectedness with their peers in order to solve their developmental challenges, and we totally disrupted that our schools were closed we went to remote now these are all unintended consequences and we we didn't go at this to to think about with the intention of of impacting uh, behavioral health of children but they happened and so uh, just a a monumental uh, number of children coming into the behavioral health system has resulted from all those disruptions
0: you talk about it being a, a different world now. What what role do you think social media plays in all of this? Well, we certainly, uh, if you look at
4: some of the areas that may be impacted by uh, social media, and, and I think the most studied one right now is self harm. And uh, we uh, traditionally have children coming into us, talking to us about the fact that they cut. Uh, they, they actually cut their skin to produce bleeding. And that's not something that you learn in your family. It's generally not something you're going to learn in your, in your community, but you sure as heck can learn it on uh, social media today. Uh, it's readily available on multiple uh, distribution sites, uh, and uh, it is talked about uh, by kids who are depressed uh, and are experiencing self-harm, and uh, it spreads. Uh, and kids adopt it. So just just as an example, uh, in the uh, last uh, couple of years, for instance, uh, uh, I have a CDC report I recently was reviewing, and the po- proportion of ED visits for suicide attempts among 12 to 17-year-olds was 2.1 times higher in the winter of 21. It has continued to grow. Uh, and uh, the number of suspected suicide attempts among females of this age group increased by 50.6 percent compared to the same periods uh, the year before the pandemic. Uh, and then uh, CD C uh, reported that our ED visits for eating disorders among adolescent females uh, almost doubled uh, in terms of their uh, frequency. Uh, and so those are areas that you get uh, suggestive information through social media on, and you have generally uh, your uh, ability to to access social media on those subject matter very, very easily.
0: I'm curious about the kids who are brought to uh, the hospital, that emergency room, or or that go to carrier. Is, Is there typically a triggering event that puts a kid over the top or is it kind of a slow build where it's building and finally the parents say, we've got to do something serious here?
4: Yeah, Peter, it's a combination. Uh, so, so if you think about what uh, is happening in a kid's life uh, with all these unusual circumstances, for instance, the CDC went back, the Center for Disease Control went back to look at what was reported uh, in homes during this time period of kids that are reporting to the emergency room. They found 55% of kids had experienced some type of emotional abuse, enough to be uh, uh, experienced by a child uh, during the first year of the pandemic. 11% of kids during that time period experienced some physical abuse. And then in in the parents' cases, because you you can't put all the responsibility on parents, 29% of the parents lost a job during that first year of the pandemic. So So think about the chaos that that causes in a family uh, and the anxiety for every member of the family. And then you're worried about, that's without worrying about the disease itself. These are just uh, other circumstances that uh, result from the disease. So, uh, you know, it it is an unknown and uncharted water that we've been in uh, for the last uh, two and a half years. And what's happening is kids are showing up at our EDs and record numbers. Uh, our our ED visits for self-harm uh, went up 68% in 2021. Uh, we don't have the 22 number uh, numbers yet, but I suspect that they will continue on that uh, trajectory. Uh, we've had inpatient hospitalizations, which is the area that we work in, uh, have increased 95% during that time period. Uh, and we, we don't have enough beds. Now, I, I would tell you, Peter, that there's been a very swift reaction from a number of different areas, both the federal government and from the state government. Uh, For instance, Carrier has a uh, 40-bed adolescent unit. Uh, The state actually allocated $10 million to help us build a unit, which is called the Latency Unit, for children under uh, 12, uh, so that we can manage those children uh, in a separate environment from the older kids. Uh, which is the way you would handle uh, the uh, challenges of treatment uh, that are different among those age groups. Uh, and we are now in the process of completing design, and we will hopefully break ground shortly on that unit. Uh, we we started uh, actually in order to make sure that uh, patients don't have to get to the emergency room, integrating uh, social workers into our pediatric and family practices. Uh, so that we could uh, identify early uh, the potential uh, of depression. Uh, those psychologists and social workers who are in those practices have uh, contact with our uh, psychiatrists. We have child psychiatrists who are available via a telepsychiatry hub, so you can check in and get a screening uh, for a child as part of that program. Uh, you know other organizations are are uh, collaborating with schools. We do some of that, but uh, just about every uh, school is reaching out to the field of behavioral health to get a relationship so that they can manage within the school a lot of the behavioral health issues that they're facing so this is this is a an immediate tsunami, Peter, but I think we're going to be going for a long time H- hence back to my description of what happens to young children, the trust versus mistrust, and then each of those sequences that are disrupted uh, unintentionally uh, and uh, the amount of damage that it does to those kids for the rest of their lives. So this will not be a short-term problem. By the way, Peter, one of the really uh, silver linings of all all of this is that people are willing to talk and seek help for behavioral health issues today. Uh, We had a remarkable improvement on people's uh, willingness to, to disclose their issues in behavioral health and to find the, the right people to help them to deal with it. So the stigma has gone down significantly because so many people are, are experiencing it. Uh, we expect the kids uh, actually uh, to get their help, again, as early as we can in their pediatric practices so we can nip it in the bud before it requires acute care. Uh, and we are hoping that our our collaboration with pediatric practices, our collaboration with schools, our uh, collaboration with, with police departments who are interacting with kids in the community, we're going to be increasing all of those areas, teaching in all of those areas. For instance, we have a project where we teach mental health first aid uh, to first responders. Uh, and we've been doing that throughout the uh, central uh, region of the state through a grant uh, that we were able to secure uh, from the federal government. Uh, we believe that we're going to have to have everybody equipped with better knowledge, better skills, better coping mechanisms to work with children uh, to address the unintended and intended consequences of the pandemic.
2: And of course, if you are suffering and in need of help, it's only a phone call away 24 7. The National Mental Health Hotline is 988. Just dial those three numbers and you'll get help immediately
6: Put the spring back into your step and into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.
2: COVID has rightly received much of the blame for the surge in mental health concerns. After all, it's not unusual for large scale societal events to create fear and uncertainty. Here in New York, just look at the 9 11 attacks. Experts at the World Trade Center Health Program have been collecting a significant amount of data on physical and psychological conditions on the ground here in New York in the 20-plus years since September 11th. The program monitors and treats those who were exposed to the toxic chemicals in and around Ground Zero. Dr. Sandra Lowe is medical director of the mental health portion of the World Trade Center Health Program. She sat down with Peter Haskell to talk about the 118,000 people already enrolled in the overall program.
5: Every month, we've got between 25 and 30 people who are newly coming in and are certified, which is the program.
0: So the 25 to 30 new patients a month, that is a huge number.
5: That is a huge number. And these are the people who are coming in and being diagnosed with a World Trade Center related condition, a mental health condition. Now, some of these are patients who have been in the program but they have not come in for mental health services, and they were never diagnosed. So, yes, that's how many people we see. We're we're a very large program um, here at Sinai, and we, um, we could use more providers.
0: What does that say to you, the fact that these numbers are increasing as dramatically as they are all these years later?
5: You know, there's, uh, I look at it two ways. One is that, you know, is there something that is um, some conditions that are worsening? Is, is, is there something, is there are there latencies to certain conditions that are worsening? Was it, um, you know, the state of the world and the pandemic that has had an effect? Um, or is it that there is more awareness and therefore people are coming in because they realize that it's that the program is here that we offer mental health care and that um seeing a psychiatrist is not uh, a terrible thing so i think that it's it, it could be positive and negative one of the important things about the program and this is something uh, what well, I think is that the 9/11 experience, one of the contributions it's made to disaster um, uh, response, is surveillance. The program, you know, um, all, all individuals who are registered in the program come in about once a year, even if they don't have anything, any condition to get checked to see if there is a new onset condition. So cancer screenings are critical because cancer, especially the types of cancers that are uh, more prevalent, have latency periods of 5, 10, 15 years. So early detection is critical in mortality, in reducing mortality. And we know that it works.
0: We're two and a half years into a pandemic which has created... uh Stress and anxiety and depression in all kinds of people across the spectrum. What kind of impact do you think COVID has had, generally speaking and specifically on this group of people?
5: Um. The we have seen, and we I mean not just Mount Sinai, we we. uh, mental health professionals from the different clinical centers gather and we discuss uh, challenges and, and approaches um, so we have we all saw an increase in uh, um, s- symptomatology in our patients and very interestingly for our for the 9-11 um, affected population there were many parallels that they drew between the pandemic, especially the early part in New York and 9-11. The constant uh, sirens of emergency vehicles, there was that parallel. They talked about you know the uh, concerns about air quality and the lack of masks, which was a problem post-9-11 and obviously uh, COVID, early COVID. Um, uh, they spoke about Things like that were just very triggering. Uh, They saw body bags on TV um, during the early part of the pandemic. They saw a lot of body bags when they were working down at Ground Zero. Refrigerated trucks, these are things that patients brought up. Um, So these are elements that are very similar and therefore brought back a lot of symptoms.
0: There's this universal event that everybody experiences, anybody of a certain age, 20, you know, 26, 27 years old, or now, they were five or six then, and did that have any kind of long-term societal impact where there's a fear, there's an anxiety, there's a phobia? Is that something, is there a way to tell if there, there are these tentacles from 9-11 still percolating through our society now?
5: Uh, 9-11 changed our country and our country's perception of our vulnerability. Um, there is, I believe, an elevated sense of, of um, risk being vulnerable that did not exist then. Maybe the risk was the same, but it was just not as palpable. It was not experienced. So there is much more of an, a sense of, um, of vigilance. You know, um, post 9-11, there were these signs all over the subways, uh, if you see something, say something. So there was this kind of cultural phenomenon where um, we, were, we are all more alert. Uh, even sometimes. I'll look at a plane that sounds really close and loud and I'll just look and I'll think, hmm, is there is, is that an odd flight pattern? Um, so, yes, I think that there is this, um, perhaps this sense of um, uh, some mistrust that has developed. Um, but I also, I, I do want to highlight that it is also, um, Balanced by um, what's been written, it's been written about as post-traumatic growth, and this is the experience that people may have after a trauma, where they actually are able to experience psychological growth. That is, uh, they become more self-confident in their ability to overcome adversity. They have greater appreciation for community and family. Um, they are able to um, uh, reprioritize their lives. I had a lot of patients who were working two jobs fr- prior to 9-11 and over time they said, wait a second, this is, I, wanna, I wanna spend more time with my family. So I think there's also some positive aspects about um, personal growth and connection with community that have resulted from this tragedy.
0: Last question for you, and I appreciate your patience. What's the message for folks who might be struggling, might not have thought about coming forward, might not be inclined to come forward, what should they know? What, what do you want to tell them?
5: I would want everyone to know that the program is here, it is open. Please, if you have any symptoms, if you've been exposed, if you were there in the area of uh, Ground Zero, if you had, if you worked in the area, if you were a student in the area, even if you don't have symptoms now, please you know, contact the program. You may be eligible for it. And you may be eligible for surveillance of, um, of any conditions that may occur in the future. Specific to mental health, it's like you know, mental health disorders are treatable. We've got wonderful treatments and new treatments that are coming up. And I've just heard it from so many patients, and not just their patients, I've heard it from their families telling me, just the program gave my husband his life back. You gave him back to me. So it's, there are available treatments, and it makes a tremendous difference. And people sometimes, when they've suffered from, say, depression for so long, they kind of have forgotten what it's like to feel like themselves, to not have a depression overcoming them. You can get back to that.
2: Dr. Lowe says even 21 years after 9-11, there are people who are just now seeking mental health care.
5: We have about 20,000 people within, 21,000 people within the program that have been diagnosed with some related mental health condition. Uh, That could be PTSD, or could be major depression, substance use disorder, or some other uh, disorders that are less common than those.
0: Who are these people? Are these people who are first responders, who worked in the pit, who worked elsewhere? Do you know who these people are?
5: Yes. Yes. you no, know, there are, the uh, Mount Sinai program is what's called a general responder program. So we take care of um, individuals who were, uh, who were first responders. Some of them were EMS or um, NYPD, uh, National Guard, um, uh, very infrequently uh, FDNY because they have their own program. Um, But also what people don't realize are the non-traditional responders. And these are people like the construction workers and the iron cutters and the asbestos abatement um, workers, uh, the general cleanup crews. These were also people who are responders because they contributed to the restoration of the site. And they were there for months and they were affected.
0: You know, it's interesting, there is sometimes a stigma with seeking mental health. The types of people you describe seem to be the type that might not necessarily want to come forward. Is, is that an issue that you see?
5: It's actually, unfortunately, quite common. Um, you know, our, our, in general, men seek out health care far less frequently than women. That's just the overall um, but, you know, there are certain cultural aspects so that um, very often, you know, someone who works in construction um, is not going to, it's not going to be something that is common or familiar to them. Um, for NYPD, there is stigma associated um, and there is about negative job consequences that has been looked at and and indeed that's the case. Um, uh, Stigma about having a mental health condition is nationwide, it's worldwide and we also see it being manifest here.
0: How do these kinds of mental health problems manifest themselves? What, what, What kind of symptoms are people experiencing And how difficult or easy is it to treat these things?
5: One of the most challenging conditions to treat is uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. It can be severe, it can be chronic, it can be debilitating. Um, There are treatments available, but sometimes, but it does take a specialist, and it takes time. for PTSD, the, the symptoms are, um, and there's some core symptoms. There are what's called re-experiencing symptoms, like having nightmares or flashbacks. There are avoidance symptoms where people um, avoid lower Manhattan, or they avoid any media that is related to it, or they avoid conversations, um, or people avoid being in tall buildings. I've had patients move out of the city. Many patients because they just didn't want to be in elevators and tall buildings, um, and and another one, another symptom that is really insidious is, um, with PTSD, there's a sense of withdrawal and detachment and emotional numbing that occurs, and the consequences of that are that it affects the family, so there are relationships that are ruptured, divorces, Um, relationships with children are affected, relationships with friends. So people's lives change. So for PTSD, those are some of the symptoms and and it's, it's quite pervasive. Also, it's important to note that PTSD has also health consequences. Mental health is health. It's physical health so that if you have PTSD, you're increased risk for um, a lot of other uh, conditions. If
0: I have this correct, PTSD is the sixth most common ailment uh, within the World Trade Center Health Program. I, I suspect a lot of people with PTSD have other physical symptoms as well. How do the physical symptoms tie in with the mental health symptoms And if someone is suffering with cancer or some kind of uh, respiratory problem, are they more likely to suffer with mental health problems?
5: It's a great question because it's actually bi-directional. So having a uh, mental health condition uh, results in overall poor health outcomes. Okay, so it goes in that direction. However, more recently, or in the past few years, we've been seeing people coming in uh, who have not had um, been diagnosed with depression previously, and they're coming in because they were coping, they were managing with some symptoms, and then they're diagnosed with cancer. And that is what tips it, that, that their coping strategies that they've been using are no longer effective and then they develop like a full-blown major depression. Or another common situation is um, people who have been, um, who have uh, pulmonary conditions related to the toxic uh, air uh, that they were exposed to. And over time they get worse and now they become oxygen dependent and they have to carry a canister. And that is what tips them over. So it's, yes, so it goes both ways. Um, And and that's why in our program, mental health and physical health, we are all very integrated. We work together. You have to.
2: Anxiety and depression are far more common than you might imagine. And if you are having trouble, help is close. Remember, we told you about the National Mental Health Hotline 988. We also want to point out resources and discussion we have available on a website our company Odyssey has put together called I'm Listening. Just visit imlistening.org. That's 880 In-Depth for this week. Thank you to our guests. Thanks for listening. The executive producers are Peter Haskell and Tim Scheldt. I'm Michael Wallace, and remember, it's okay not to be okay. You are not alone.